Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to episode 42 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John, and I'm right here on a mission to help marketers all around the world sharpen their growth marketing skills by talking to some of today's top marketing experts. Today, I have somebody special. I have Gia. She is the former VP of marketing at, at Unbounce, which is a company, if you're a marketer, should know they're a company that cr- you're able to create landing pages and A-B tests without using any code. And she was the first marketer there. She scaled the marketing team from her alone to 35 employees she is amazing. We talked about a bunch of things. She also now advises sub SaaS companies like AppQs and Carrot. So she is super experienced in this space. I really picked her brain about a bunch of things. First of all, I talked about creating the customer experience map and why it's so important for her and the company that she advises. She said that problems in acquisition, onboarding, retention, churn, and expansion can be solved by mapping out your customer experience. And I picked Gia's brain on how she creates this step-by-step by companies that she works with and she charges a lot to get this information. I also talked to Gia about how she scaled the marketing team at Unbounce from one employee of her to 35 employees. I also asked her about some of the mistakes she made when she was hiring. So I can't wait for you to hear that part. And finally, I asked her what four areas of marketing that Gia hired for when she scaled Unbounce marketing team to 35. Now, if you want the show notes and my three key takeaways from this episode, quotes and more valuable stuff from this episode, you can go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 042. That's growthmarketing.today forward slash 042. Or you can find a link in the description of wherever you get your podcast. And if you're new here, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, wherever that is. And as always, I'd appreciate it very much if you leave a five-star review on iTunes so we can reach more marketers with this podcast. Other than that, I don't want to hold you back any further. Let's listen in on my chat with Gia. Hey everyone, I have your Gia. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to her. She has a lot of project go- going on. Uh, she used to be VP of marketing at Unbounce, which is a company that most of you probably know. Uh, how's it going, Gia? How are things with you? It's great. Thank you so, so much for having me. I, I never got to ask, how's the weather in Montreal? Is it as nice as here in Toronto? I, I think it's it, Toronto and Montreal usually have pretty similar weather. <laughs> it's really nice. I mean, it's overcast right now, but it, it is... Such a nice time of year. This is my favorite, 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 favorite time of year. Spring. Yes. Yeah, same here. I just like winter just sucks the life out of me. Yep. You start hearing the birds and you know, it's, it's summer's coming. This is exactly it. Season. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you about a lot of things, um, about hiring, about uh, customer experience. Before we jump into that stuff, can you tell me a little bit about your career journey so far? Because it's been, you know, I love asking this question because when I was early on in my career, I always thought that career journey is like linear. Mm. And I, after talking to a lot of folks, it's not, you know, going from point A to B. It's more like a, a circle or a zigzag, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, lots lots of ups and downs. Uh, it's long. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've been in, I've been marketing 
Ugh, I hate to even say this, but it's been nearly 20 years that since I've been marketing professionally, um, like not, you know, I, I don't count pre-university there, so I'm dating myself. But um, so I've been I've been doing marketing for about 20 or so years and I've been focused solely on SaaS companies and the marketing of SaaS companies and their growth for the last like nine to 10 years. So since about 2009 and we're 2019. So that makes 10 years. So, uh, yeah, the quick sort of evolution was like I studied communications, digital communications, mostly at the at the university level. Um, when I left university, I started working for my father's business and he owns a retail store uh, here in Montreal, uh, a large uh, retail florist, actually. And little known fact, uh, at the time, at least uh, flowers were the four, fourth most purchased uh, item online behind like cool. corn and like <laughs> music, I think. I can't remember what the others books were down definitely up there. Anyways, yeah. all to say very competitive. So I got to learn a lot of stuff very quickly. So obviously e-commerce, uh, SEO, I was doing CRO even before I knew what CRO was, wow. uh, obviously content marketing, social media marketing was just sort of taking off around that time. So I got like first mover advantage there, which was really great. And then of course, um, along with all the, you know, sort of online and digital marketing stuff I was doing, I was also learning a lot about retail management, which was the side of the business that I was less excited about. So uh, when I was getting the business online um, and on active on social media, I discovered Twitter, of course, in 2008. And uh, along with Twitter, Twitter, I discovered the local tech community, which basically changed everything for me. Uh, and I quickly was like, I'm not into this retail thing anymore. <laughs> My whole life is like not what I thought it was going to be. And I got very, very deeply embedded into the tech community and very quickly fell in love with this SaaS business model and with SaaS companies and tech companies. So I, uh, I started working in an agency. So all the stuff that I learned while I was working at my father's business, I got to apply to other businesses. And I worked at an agency for a little bit, which I really, really disliked. And then I went freelance, which I really, really loved. And then I, you know, I had the wonderful problem of being too busy as a freelancer. And I started to feel a little bit burnt out. And that's when sort of Unbounce kind of like fell into my lap beautifully. Like the timing couldn't have been better. So I was really excited to sort of sink my teeth into one brand as opposed to freelancing where I felt a little bit like I had like 10 kids. Um, with Unbounce, <laughs> I got to like throw all my love into one brand, which was really, well, yeah. really great. And I was there for five years. Um, and then when I left there in January of 2017, ever since then, I have been advising for SaaS companies. Nice. No, that's uh, great. I'm, I'm going to jump on Unbounce in a little bit. But after Unbounce, you, you started advising SaaS companies like is there any particular like niche or focus you help companies with yeah uh well i mean SaaS marketing is just sort of this um i mean it's a really really interesting space obviously i'm biased but i think it's a really really cool place to hang out and when i left uh, you know my in-house role I made this announcement to my sort of, you know, my personal network on Facebook. And I was like, all right, everybody, like, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I'm <laughs> I'm leaving this role that you've all known I've been in for the last five years. And I was very vocal about, um, and I'm not sure what I'm doing next. Probably I'm going to re return to like consulting or freelancing because I really loved it when I was doing it. And my inbox quickly blew up with people <laughs> asking like, hey, can you consult for us? Or hey, Hey, do you want to like come back in house or, you know, job offers or whatever? Hey, do you know anybody like you that has a lot of experience in marketing, specifically in SaaS marketing? And I hate saying no. And so I was like, you know, how do I 
how do I help the most amount of these people as I can? Because obviously I wanted to be as helpful as possible. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, rather than going back in-house, um, which I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do anyway, I decided I think I could probably be useful and and say yes to a lot more people if I could work with, you know, multiple. So I went back sort of the consulting route and I decided that the best use of my time and the highest value way I could possibly sort of contribute to these companies was through advising. So as opposed to like getting in there and defining their marketing strategy for them and then handing it off to their head of marketing or to whoever, uh, rather what I what fires me up way, way, way more is working with a SaaS company where I work directly with that marketer Sometimes they don't exist yet, and sometimes I will help companies sort of, you know, make that higher. Um, but then I will flip over to basically working alongside that marketer and supporting mm-hmm. that marketer in building the strategy themselves, so that they have that sense of ownership, and so that they, you know, they're they built this thing and they believe in it and they want to run with it. And I just sort of, you know, do whatever I can to support them in doing that. I I often describe it as being me for me ten years ago. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, you were talking about freelancing felt like having 10 babies. I, I love that analogy because, you know, there's like fires you have to put out and then you have to take care of it, all of them. And you care, right? Yeah, you do. You, do, you, <laughs> you genuinely your... care and it's exhausting, <laughs> but it's amazing. You went to Unbalance and then five years later, what made you decide to go back to advising? Is there just because you love having that many babies, um, <laughs> like company babies, so to speak? Um, I don't know. I I mean, I was there for five years. And I mean, if we're being honest, five years is an eternity right now. Like by today's standards, five years is a long time to be with a company. And like nothing, you know, no love loss against them at all. I absolutely love the team there and I love Unbounce. But it was just it just felt like the right time. Um, I had, you know. I don't know. It just felt the timing was right. I Mm. I had just had a baby. I was looking for a bit more flexibility. Um, You know, it was just good timing for me. That's all. I like to go back. How how did they actually find you? You talked about how it just it fell in your lap. Did they find you online? Twitter. I swear. Oh wow. Twitter is like so. um, A local VC here actually, um, who was their primary um, advisor at the time. Mark McLeod, actually, uh, he he tweeted out that one of the portfolio companies that he had was, you know, in search of a of multiple roles. They were hiring for multiple roles and they were 15 employees at the time. And I, you know, actually, it wasn't even me that saw the tweet. It was somebody else interested in another role and they passed it on to me. And I was like, oh. I'm in marketing. I need a platform like this. Like I need to be able to build stuff without developers. And so I actually signed up. Like I saw the posting and then I signed up for the platform because I was like, wait, like I'm a freelancer. I actually need this tool. Um, and so I signed up for it. Um, and they ask you when you sign up, they ask you, how did you hear about us? And I put, well, you're hiring. Um, but I started messing around within the product and on it, I am not kidding you. I, I think it was maybe an hour later, the CEO emailed because clearly they were in a hiring like blitz. Right. And so they were like anybody who came in mentioning that they're hiring, they were going to do some digging on. And so I guess they did did some digging and found out that um, Mark actually also knew me. And so that that obviously helped. But I I actually moved across the country uh, to work for them. So, um, yeah, it just it was just Great, great timing on on both of our sides. Yeah, that is so good. Uh, I find Twitter is such a great place for marketers. Uh, every right? time I talk to young marketers, it's like I tell them you need to be on Twitter right yeah. now because, you know, the young folks they laugh at me when I have Twitter. They like, oh, why Instagram's the place to be at? And I'm like, well, for <laughs> marketers, Twitter is. This is how we connected, right? We, we I started chatting yeah. with you through Twitter and ask you if you can be on podcasts. 
so it had it made such a big difference and i'm and i wouldn't I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily look at Twitter from like an acquisition standpoint. I look at, at, at Twitter as like my network and like, that's where my people are. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and, true. and there's like a lot of uh, like um, kinship there and a lot of support there. And a lot of people that I've met there have become like really, really great friends and all via Twitter. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a different beast than Instagram and Facebook. One other thing that you said was you moved to you said you moved to Vancouver to yeah. join. How do how do you find the the tech scene uh, difference in in Montreal to to Vancouver? You're like, really you're putting me to the test here, aren't you? <laughs> this is not a question I put in the list, but I just I had to ask it right because the West. So I worked in San Francisco for a bit, and the culture there is just totally different from the East Coast here in, in Toronto. I'm, I I hear the same thing about Vancouver. It's like just totally different from from the East Coast. Yeah, let's call it different. Um, it, it's <laughs> it's super super different. I mean, look, I'm an East Coaster. I was born and raised on the East Coast. Um, I it, I you know the cultural differences between the coasts. I will obviously always feel more East Coast. So um, I loved love loved Vancouver. I you know beautiful city. Met amazing amazing people there. Um, as far as like tech communities go, I mean, Montreal stands out as like, I mean, again, I'm biased because I'm here, but Montreal stands out as like an atypical sort of tech community. The, 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 there's tech communities, like pockets of them. I mean, just talk about language. Um, and Vancouver is, you know, has its own, um, challenges, I'm going to like straight up with you. I was so head down when I was there. I was so focused on what I was doing at that company that I, I'd never embedded myself into the tech community in Vancouver the way that I did in Montreal. Um, I was really, really very head down when I was there and I regret it. I wish I had actually um, done more. Um, I'll call it networking, but like, I wish I had spent a bit more time in that, but yeah, it, culturally very different. And then the tech communities themselves are, are, very different challenges um yeah I, I won't say one is better than the other necessarily but yeah they're just different yeah <laughs> different, yeah, different way to approach things yeah i want to sh- shift gears a bit and one of the things that we talked about that we can chat on the podcast is you you said something about customer experience mapping i'm curious what that is and how and why that's important to marketing well i mean it's important to marketing but it is in a SaaS environment critical to business um, I mean, it, it, this is like, I harp on this a lot and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but, um, you know, the SaaS business model is completely dependent. I don't know of another business model who is, which is quite as, um, reliant on building relationships as SaaS, right? Like SaaS is not an acquisition game. SaaS is about building long-term relationships and retention and lifetime value. So any sort of marketer in a SaaS environment, if their end-all be-all is acquisition, either, you know, by choice or by sort of task, uh, they're being handcuffed or they're being short-sighted. So I, I very purposely... After leaving Unbounce, my consultancy was called A Better CX. And I knew that it's because people looked at me like I'm, you know, oh, yeah, marketing, 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 marketing. But I mean, at the the sort of grander scheme of things, marketing has a massive, massive value to bring 
thing post acquisition. And I just as much as I could could possibly, I wanted to sort of amplify uh, marketing's role as, as spanning the entire customer experience. That's yeah, that's so good. How does how do you so how would you build a customer experience map? Like, let's say a company comes up to you or a team, they have a retention problem, or they have some kind of problem in their marketing, how how would you go about in helping them with that? Yeah, well, I mean, as far as like what their objectives are or what they might be trying to solve for, I mean, aside for a second, because I actually believe that customer experience mapping can solve for any <laughs> any cool. point of the customer <laughs> experience. So uh, typically any struggle can be addressed with that. Uh, I don't like to sort of like paint broad with a broad I'm going to butcher that analogy. You know what I mean? I don't want to brush, stroke, yeah. broad brush strokes here, but, um, you know, I've never worked with a SaaS company that was 100% uh, confident in their onboarding experience, mm. as an example, right? Like almost every, my arguably all SaaS companies um, feel like their product onboarding could be better. That's something that can be addressed with customer experience mapping. Um, you know, learning more or sort of, sorry, reaching new customers can be addre- addressed with customer experience mapping. Retention and churn, uh, expansion, uh, all of the, every single area where marketing has a role to play or anything sort of customer facing, and I'll call it customer success as well, anywhere that they have a role to play, there is a role to have a framework like a customer experience map in place for the team to sort of leverage. Um, my my process for running through that, um, I wish I could say that it was, you know, like step one, step two. <laughs> and I, of course, I could distill it into steps, and I do. Uh, but typically, I, I will opt to work with what the company has. So I'm not a like baby out with the bathwater scenario that is way too painful. Companies cannot afford that, especially earlier or, or you know, um, early in growth stage SaaS companies, they don't want to um, do away with work that has already been done. So as much as possible, I try to work with what they already have. And you know what they don't have, then I will work with them to sort of develop. And what I mean by that is, I mean, there's a couple sort of prerequisites. And one is there has to be stakeholder buy-in. Uh, there has to be um, at the founder level, at the, at the highest sort of the highest ranks within the company has to truly believe that there is a problem that can be solved. Um, through this process and really truly believe in it because you know if if you don't have the, the that level sort of bought in and a part of the process and supporting and championing this process then it's it's going to fall flat. Uh, the next prerequisite I would say is that there should be a cross-functional uh, team dedicated to it. So this isn't something I would ever say that a marketer alone should do. Uh, you know, I will always advocate for somebody in product, somebody in CS, even potentially if there is somebody in sales uh, to be a big part of this process this is not something that you can do in a silo. And if you, you can, well, sorry, you can do it in a silo, but the advent, the the advantages to to building this type of framework for an organization really is that it gets adopted organization wide and you're not going to do that if you don't account for customer successes needs and products needs and uh, sales needs, for example. So uh, a a CX team or a squad or, you know, a task force or whatever you want to call it, uh, really dedicated to building this together in a cross-functional way that sort of accounts for um, everybody's, uh, leverages everybody's knowledge and takes into account everybody's, um, you know, contribution to the customer experience. So that those two things have to be there. Um, and then the, what I would focus on next is um, a shared understanding of the purpose of the company or the brand or 
identity and sort of a, a bit of a, you know, alignment on that. If that exists, fantastic. Moving on, we go on to the next thing. But everybody's got to be aligned and understanding of, you know, what the big idea is. And there needs to be a source of truth for that. And so, so often, and obviously it's understandable, this is skipped, um, especially when you're in a, you know, an environment that changes as quickly as startups do. Um, a lot of times that's missing or it existed at one time and then it quickly falls out of favor or things change. So sometimes I will spend time sort of establishing clarity around the company's purpose and brand and identity. Uh, if that's not needed, great. Um, but usually it is. And then the other sort of prereq pre before going into to customer experience mapping would be customer insight, obviously. And that one, that's like the biggest, um, the biggest area where there is um, an opportunity. That said, I have worked with a lot of companies who are on the customer research bandwagon and they are well on their way and that is fantastic and I will always try to leverage I like I will never come in and say the research that you did is not useful never I, I never start from scratch if I can um, so I try to leverage every, all the internal knowledge that there is um, and get uh, learn from everyone and whatever is missing well then we we fill in the gaps when we do customer research my relationship and partnership with Claire Solentrop has got a lot way to helping me do that even more effectively. Um, and so, you know, the, the customer research process that, um, that I, that I run through with companies are, is pretty simple, but very effective. And that is obviously what everybody wants, right? They want something they can do in a couple of, uh, a weeks or a couple of right. months, not a year, right? Cause research is, uh, resource intensive typically. So I try to go as quickly as possible and iteratively as possible. And then after those things are sort of established and we have access, then I would go into the actual customer experience mapping process, which is um, quite a bit more involved. Um, but the most important thing I will say is that like, this is not something that one person goes off and does um, in a, in a, a, you know, in a corner somewhere. This is definitely something that needs to be um, cross-functional and everybody needs to be involved and invested in order for it to be successful. It's so good. I, I like how you started off with a, a shared purpose. Like you're really trying to get everybody aligned in the same same page. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't know what the big idea is, how are you supposed to decide what kind of customer experience you're even trying to build if you don't have your mind's eye on like where the company is going and why it's going there? Now, when it comes to customer research, do you find a lot of companies are on that bandwagon nowadays with the popularization? of like UX and or do you still find a lot of companies are not on like doing research or really talking to their customers that's a great question I actually it really it really really comes down to the founders um mm. unfortunately I wish I could say yes I mean yes more are open to it uh than were before admittedly when I was in house I did not do nearly enough research I know that now um but you know I think it is a lot more widely understood <laughs> I mean as it should be that customers are the end-all be-all right if you're if you don't know your customers then what are you even doing in business so I think that <laughs> is understood pretty well. I think where the hesitation lies in is in the prioritization of it because we work at such breakneck speeds. Uh, you know, we need results yesterday and there's 
a lot of pressure, especially for funded companies and VC-backed yeah. companies, that you results have to be there. And it can be really, really hard to sort of stop and listen and invest in like something that it feels very sort of long term. So whenever possible, whenever I'm working with a company, I try to sort of uh, illustrate that very shortly thereafter starting a research project, we can start to leverage it almost immediately. Like within a couple of weeks, we will have stuff that we can move on. So there's a very delicate balance between execution and strategic work that always has to be in play. And I think that once you can strike the right balance for the company that you're working with, particularly the founders, um, then normally you can, you know, you can, you can make a lot of headway. I love execution. I I don't, you know, I I talk a lot about strategy and how important it is, but I love getting into the details um, at the execution layer and at the campaign level. So I'm super happy to zoom in and zoom out whenever possible. Now, when it comes to customer research, do you have a, and you talked about a little, a little bit about this, about your, your process that you're using now for that. Do you, uh, jump on a Zoom call with with five customers. Do you send out surveys? Are there any particular thing that you have? Assuming that the company doesn't have anything at that point. Yeah, if they don't have anything in place, or what they have in place is really outdated, or for like you know the wrong target customer, for example, because uh, if they you know if they're moving into a new market or something. Um, yes, what I what I typically do, and again, like full credit to Claire Solentrop here, I've really sort of like leveraged her brain on this. Um, we, uh, typically what I'll try to do because it can be leveraged so quickly is there's a series of like a web survey, a website survey and a customer survey that are really easy, um, and very short and like, I mean, I don't say, I'm not going to say I send the same survey every time, but they're very similar because the end result and the end goal of these surveys paints a very, um, I'm not going to say perfect because obviously it's imperfect. It's a survey and not an interview. Um, but it, it, it gives a very good sort of like guide to where to go next. So sometimes the survey results will be super crystal clear and we all know exactly what supposed to do next and other times and this is of course happened we're like okay we learned a lot here but we didn't learn enough and so now we actually have to turn to interviews to dive in a little bit deeper because you know you'll you'll see in the results of these surveys so i we use them as a bit of like a barometer for what to do next um but i'm always excited when the survey results come back uh with something to leverage immediately for all the reasons that i mentioned before right like we need to deliver and we need to make progress it can't just be about research so um it's a really great way to sort of introduce research into a company um painlessly uh somewhat paint by numbers um in a way that isn't painful for anybody and that um can be leveraged immediately so while i will always recommend going down the route of interviews and and like you know, going, doing it the right way and air quote, uh, I typically do start with surveys because they are, they're, they're like the gateway drug <laughs> into research. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Now, so you know, you have that research, you have the purpose. What does, uh, the customer experience, the CX map look like? Um, is it on a spreadsheet? Do you like design it on Photoshop or something yeah. else? <laughs> Um, again, it will, it'll depend on resources. I, I typically work, I mean, I've done it in spreadsheets. I've done it in like, you know, like lucid chart. I've done it in Miro or real time board. You know, I, I, it, the tool isn't mostly what I try to do is 
use tools that the company, you know, that I'm working with is most comfortable with and has experience with. Um, I, I, you know, if, if all else fails, I'll probably go into something like a lucid chart or a real time board. But, um, the process itself, uh, once once you have like clarity and alignment on on purpose, and you've got qualitative and quantitative data to sort of uh, tap into, um, then the first thing that you would try to do, and it is highly imperfect, and there is a lot of chicken and the egg in this scenario, but you try to uncover what your customer's success milestone are. And typically mm. the sort of the mental model that you've got to throw it in your head is like your marketing automation tool, <laughs> your business metrics that you've been thinking about. You got to throw out pirate metrics. You got to throw out <laughs> a funnel. You got to throw out all the shit that has, that was thrown at you as like best practice or, you know, the, 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 the sort of generic way to think about your customer's experience and really try to dive into what are your specific customers' success milestones. So stop thinking about business metrics and start thinking about what they are up against. Where are their leaps of faith? So if you can dive into that, the the qualitative and quantitative to uncover that, um, then you'll have the sort of base for what your success milestones look like. And those success milestones roll up to KPIs, KPIs that are completely focused on your customer achieving their goal, not your business. These are not business metrics. This is not credit card entered. This is about, you know, um, this is about what what did they need to do uh, in order to sort of tip over to the other side of this. A lot of times, I've, well, a lot, I, nine times out of 10, or maybe nine <laughs> out of 100, the SaaS companies that I'm working with don't even have a really a clear understanding of what, you know, a customer becoming activated in their product is. They don't have a clear definition. They haven't clearly defined what activated means or what engaged means, for example. So, um, you know, we'll dive into uh, the customer data and we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll dive in to find out how should we be thinking about those things. And I say it's chicken and the egg. Uh, because when you dive in, sometimes you realize, whoa, there was actually a there was actually a, a bigger sort of bridge to cross here than we originally thought, and this stage should actually probably be two, for example. So um, it's a bit of a um, it can be a messy process, but brainstorming with the other. Um, you know, team leads that are involved in the process is really, really great um, for hashing some of this stuff out. I know that that's how I did it internally um, when I executed on this as as like the head of marketing inside of a SaaS company. Um, and it was a really, really valuable process. And um, KPIs came out of it, much more meaningful KPIs came out of it. And out of those KPIs came direction for all of us for, as a team, as individuals, we finally were able to see ourselves and our role in the customer experience. And that was really empowering and um, made our jobs a lot easier and made them a lot more um, feel impactful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, this is such good stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Sometimes you just People just jump on like you know, pirate metrics or right. uh, other things like that. And this is really you try to dig deep into what's particular for your customers. Yep. And there's more than one, right? I mean, I I, I, swear, I left that piece out, but um, some companies, especially more mature companies, they have more than one type of customer that they're solving yeah. for. They have distinct segments. And in that case, I would say you need two. 
don't try to throw all of your customers in the same bucket. You may have customers that actually need very different experiences once they get inside your your product. And I, you know, I would wager that that is actually the case. There's probably two or three, maybe even more. Can you share like a? Can you apply this like the milestones and this customer uh, experience map and in, into a company that you've worked for in the past? And what was the results from that? Yeah, well, I mean, the easiest one for me to talk about is, you know, obvi- obviously going to be Unbounce because i I got to see the I got to see how it evolved over a five year span, um, mm. and you know, we went from. Um, and I told this story recently, um, you know, the, the du- director of marketing at the time, me, director of customer success at the time, and um, Ryan Angley, and then our head of product, who's also a co-founder, the three of us like locked ourselves in a room for a day. <laughs> it may even have been two days. And we sort of hashed out what we thought the customer uh, journey was. And um, we came up with something and it was all right. Um, but we we iterated on it later, um, thankfully, um, you know, based on a lot more insight and on a lot more knowledge and with a more sophisticated team. And we, you know, we doubled down. Uh, I mean, I'll say that we doubled down on the first iteration of our customer journey. Um, and what that let us do, or what it let, I'll speak for myself, what it let me do was um, I had to do a lot less explaining. Um, it, so like one of the things that I would try to get, um, you know, product on board with was like, when there's a product launch, I'm remember, I'm marketer here. I'm My end goal was acquisition. But I knew wholeheartedly that our customers were our biggest advocates. And I, as a marketer, wanted to make sure that marketing had a a way to sort of uh, amplify our customers and um, help sort of, you know, feed back into awareness and acquisition, obviously. And that was always kind of harder to communicate until we came up with this customer journey map where it did all the talking for me. So it just made my job a lot easier. I didn't have to, um, you know, make cases every time I had ideas about stuff. I had the language to discuss my ideas that every I knew everybody else in the room understood and they used the same language as me. It just, it did so much to sort of um, cut down on misunderstandings and miscommunications. Uh, it was really powerful. In terms of the milestones that you you and uh, the customer director of customer success and the co-founder did, what were the milestones for for advance at that point? Oh, um, <laughs> I know it was like. Oh yeah, well, I mean that was six back. years ago. Yeah, that that one was maybe was maybe six years ago. The first one that we did, uh, I would never remember the names. I know there were six stages. Um, our later. Um, was it seven? I think it was seven, actually. The one that we, when we did, went back and revisited it, as everybody, every company should do with all of their stuff like this. Uh, when we revisited, we actually discovered that there was an additional evaluation stage that we hadn't oh, okay. been ac- accounting for adequately. And so we actually built it out to be seven. And uh, our evaluation phase uh, expanded a little bit and we got more sophisticated in how we were helping people evaluate the tool. Um, so there, you know, there's three. Three phases. I mean, I, I'm I'm describing like general terms, generic yeah. here. Awareness, evaluation, and growth are like the the three sort of phases that I would think about. But within those three phases, there are success milestones or stages. And so every company is different because every customer is different. Um, but we had seven, and um, I mean, it was like a discovery, interest. I I can't remember. I'm going to remember it's all of them. It's totally fine. <laughs> but I I like how you you said that creating this customer experience map 
customer journey map help you get buy-in from from everybody else in like the, the product team and yeah. the co-founders you didn't have to explain yourself and other people much. do i mean we all leveraged it i, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about growing marketing teams uh one of the things that i read in your bio is that you scaled the marketing team from you were the first hire first marketing hire right like and then you scaled that to 35 marketing employees yeah so the company um was about 15 employees when i joined um there there was a cro actually working um on the marketing team prior that joined around the same time as me um uh, he was not around for very long and um so i moved i ended up moving into a marketing director role within a couple of months of joining the company and then um I mean, I obviously had Ollie Gardner at my sort of disposal, lucky me. <laughs> um, but the marketing t- department and team itself, yes, uh, basically was built out under under me. And um, yeah, it it grew to thirty five. That included eventually adding a sales team. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, look, every company that goes through that scale of growth. I mean, it was like fifty. We were fifteen employees when I joined, and we were nearly two hundred when I left. And um, any team that that you know goes through an evolution like that, the the marketing team looked very different. Uh, you know, year over year, we probably reorged the marketing team three times. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> to say exactly um, how it went is like it's it's messy. Uh, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, but uh, eventually, yes, it ended up being about a, a team of about thirty five. I'm not actually sure how big the marketing team is today, to be honest, because it's been like two years since I've been there. So you, you talked about those mistakes. Like, what were some of the um, hi- hiring and growing mistakes that you did when you know growing that marketing team? Oh <sighs> well, wow. Um, you know, some of the things that I, as a, uh, re- well, I wasn't a new manager, but I was a relatively new manager at the time. I didn't take into account, like, and I don't want to say silly things because I don't think they're unimportant, but like for me looking back, it was silly that I didn't account for things like, um, the introverts in the room or for, um, the approval layers, like too many approval layers or, you know, just ways that I know that I probably could have better served my team. I, I look back as like, wow, I, I really could have um, done better by them. I think probably every manager looks back at any team they ever ran and sort of <laughs> feels that way. I sort of cons- right. console myself in that way. But um, like it wasn't perfect. And and on top of it, like obviously we were up against a lot of change at the company level. So chaos um the you know the the chaos that is inevitable when working at a at a startup is something you're constantly constantly battling when you are responsible for somebody else's professional development so um and that's exactly how i saw my role was like mitigate the chaos for my team um make sure they're getting what they they need make sure to remove obstacles and make sure that their professional development in the grand scheme of things is like top of mind for me and so um i think that i you know undoubtedly could have done a better job um i tried as best as i could obviously (laughs) but uh i don't know it 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 was okay nothing nothing like catastrophic happened but uh, it's messy it's just messy yeah that's that's true. I think especially going that quickly and that that fast. Yeah, and I'm curious if you hired generalists, and this might this is probably a question you get a lot. Like, did you hire journalists or specialists at the beginning? Did you hire for specific channels or did you hire for specific funnel stages? Yeah, 
Uh, great question. And I, um, I do get asked this a lot. And I know that a lot of people figured, sort of yeah. struggle with it. But um, I, because I knew what I knew that I had at, at my disposal, i.e., um, you know, the, the skill sets of and the, the skill and knowledge, uh, internal knowledge that I had available to me, um, what I did was I focused on, oh, I don't want to say T-shape because it sounds so cheesy to say that, but <laughs> um, I, I actually focused more on generalists. And, and they had to have, a, obviously, a specific skill. So I read like a, it was probably like a, a Rand Fishkin post, like a Moz post from a couple of years before where um, he talked about marketing in this like sort of quadrant of social and sort of P, what, what I would consider more social and like PR and, and you know, public facing stuff. Uh, content, obviously. Um, performance, which under performance, I think about things like CRO, analytics, um you know, obviously like A-B testing, ads, uh, that sort of performance type marketing, um, which takes a certain brain set, right? Like not mine. Um, And the fourth was partnerships. And uh, partnerships for us um, were huge. And I I am probably quoted everywhere. (laughs) We're like in a lot of places saying that like partnerships are pivotal. Strategic (laughs) partnerships are everything, especially in SaaS. There's just it's just such a huge lever to pull that I find way too few SaaS companies take advantage of. I don't think um, people think about them enough, Um, but that was the fourth sort of area. And so I figured if I could get a a, um, somebody in under for each of those four areas and somebody who had deep expertise but also had the potential to lead a team that was always the sort of lens for which I looked at people like can these could this person like mobilize people below them like could can they be are they sort of impassioned by what they're doing and are they excited and you know I I went for I don't want to say the it's not the debate between people manager and individual contributor. It actually wasn't that at all. It was more um, they had they were able to sort of do both. It wasn't one or the other. So and that's a rare person. Right. That's that's kind of a, a rare thing to find. And so that's where I what I what I started with. That was my first sort of go at it was was that makeup of a team. And then I encouraged them to build teams below them. Just one. So one other thing that you mentioned, and this is interesting because you mentioned this in the workshop that you did with Corey from Bear Metrics, is that you suggested skipping the resume when hiring marketers. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's that's fun. Um, it makes sense to me if I was going to hire a marketer. I'm curious why you why you think that you know don't skip the resume. I just. Uh, there's no personality in them. I mean, honestly, I, I want to just say because they're boring and because they're redundant, like LinkedIn is a thing. And if you are hiring a marketer who doesn't have an up-to-date yeah, LinkedIn link, profile, yeah. that's a problem. <laughs> like the, that should be pretty polished. Their, their online profile should be pretty polished. Um, so I, I just find a resume is redundant at the end of the day. I'm not saying that they are obsolete in every industry. But in ours, I think they are. I just don't find they add a ton of value. I would rather consume another, you know, something else like an application or questions or uh, whatever. There's a slew of other things that you can do during the hiring process rather than spend your time reading a resume. Yeah. And one of the things that I've seen other marketers ask is like, show me a work you've done in the past. And like as a side project that you're passionate about and how you grew grew your following or grew that side hustle. It shows more to what they can do versus like here uh, telling you 
via via resume that they they can do that stuff. Yeah. Also, really, uh, what I find really interesting and even more valuable is how they talk about the project, right? Um, yeah. And how they describe how the thing went down. Like, do they take claim to the whole thing? Was it a personal project? Was it within a team? Um, you know, what was the goal? Uh, I love it when the examples are, and I actually typically ask for both, like a great example and a terrible example. Um, <laughs> But like, how do they talk about their work and where can you see that they took a lot of pride? Where do you see that they learned, <laughs> they, they learned something from it? Um, I, you know, there, you, there's a lot of reading between the lines to do when you ask that type of question, but I just find they're so much more valuable um, and insightful to getting inside someone's head than a generic resume, as we said. Yeah, that's true. And that, it also shows their passion. I think when they started oh, really getting excited about like a, a project that they worked on and yeah. you can tell like... Like what they're what aspect of marketing they're really excited about. Hundred percent, yeah. Now I'm I'm curious about what your thoughts in terms of like let's say a founder just hired the first marketer. Uh, what would be your advice to that marketer? You were in that position, right? Like when yeah. Unbounce hired you uh, as the first marketer. Like how what kind of stuff would you give an advice to the, that marketer to gain buy-in and uh, build inroads with the founders? Oh, um, so, so many things. Um, I mean, I honestly, we could, we could do a whole <laughs> hour a whole just on that topic. <laughs> um, one thing I will recommend is speaking of Corey Haynes, he actually came on forget the funnel and he ran a workshop about the first 90 days, um, being a marketer. I would definitely recommend anybody who's in a new, uh, a role, uh, at a SaaS company to watch that. Um, that aside, assuming that you've like watched that and you know exactly how your first 90 days sh should go. What I would say aside from that is find out what keeps your, I'll say boss, but like what keeps your founder up at night? Um, you know, what is it that they need? What were they looking for? What, you know, how can you help them? Um, and how can you learn to speak their language? That is a mistake I see so, so often is that marketers are like, I can't get buy-in on anything. And they, you know, like it's, it's, they don't believe me or like I'm trying, but they just, they want to do their own thing. And that means to me that what that means is what you're saying isn't landing with them. Uh, and you're not, what you're saying is not resonating and they're not, they're not getting it. And so, you know, if you have to, I mean, look, it's marketing, you have to speak the language of whoever it is you're speaking to, right? Like audience is everything. I would say the same, you need to do that with your customers. You need to do that with your boss. Uh, you know, find out what language they speak, learn it, um, tie absolutely everything you do back to what they give a shit about, right? Like what, what are the, what are the numbers they're trying to move? And then tie your work back to that whenever humanly possible, not only with your founder or your boss, but with other stakeholders in the company company as well. Um, everybody needs to understand. It's very challenging to be a marketer, a non, especially a non-technical marketer inside of a tech company that it's challenging for a gazillion reasons that I probably don't need to go into, but like, you know, marketing is sometimes looked like, looked at like the arts and crafts department and yeah. you have to do everything you can to tie marketing back to revenue. And that is your job. You not only have to market your company, but you have to market marketing within your company. So get really good and really comfortable at that would be like my far and away advice. And also watch that workshop that Corey ran. 
Yeah, no, that's so good. Uh, and that workshop was with Forget the Funnel. And that's another, I guess, leads to my next question about, uh, you know, what is Forget the Funnel that you started with Claire? And how, how did that come about? Well, I mean, it came about because of what we were just talking about exactly, actually. Um, so her and I um, sort of separately, we both left our in-house roles around the same time and we um, both went to consulting around the same time and we sort of synced up via uh, an online community and we, you know, started talking and we were like, you know, what's it like working with the founders that you're working with? And it was, it was the same thing over and over again. It was either like the founder was in total emergency mode because like acquisition was just, you know, an emergency. They hadn't thought about it yet because it's marketing instead of a tech company. Um, and then on the flip side of that, like how can, you know, the, the marketers who are inside of those companies struggling and we saw it over and over and over again. It was like founders would be reaching out saying like, hey, we need help with our marketing strategy. I'm like, cool, so let's hire a marketer. And they're like, oh, no, no, I got a marketer, I, I, but I need a marketing strategy. I'm like, what are you talking to me for? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, where, where's your marketer? Get them on this on the call, you know? So that divide um, was really something that we wanted to address. Uh, and so we just what we decided to do just as like the easiest thing we could think of was to run workshops dedicated to those marketers to help sort of communicate on behalf of marketing and, and you know, champion marketing internally inside of a tech company, like I said, is not an easy thing to do. Um, but far and away, I mean, this is a professional, like from a professional development standpoint, Working inside a SaaS company is so, so gratifying, uh, especially, you know, with these early and scale up st stage. There's so much really interesting work to be done. And I just too often um, marketers are bailing out because they're burning out. They are, you know, they're not being trusted by their bosses. They're being micromanaged. They're being prescribed strategies. And just as much as possible, we want to try to, like, <laughs> fix that. That's why, that's why we started with Forget the Funnel. So, um and when we, by the way, when we launched, when we announced that we were starting Forget the Funnel, the emails and DMs and messages that we got from marketers who were like, thank God, <laughs> you know, like this is exactly what I That's needed. Great. You know, like marketing tactics are great, but like I need to know how to talk to my boss. I need to know how to build a strategy. I'm being told to think more strategically and I don't even know what that means. Or like I'm not being trusted. I have no internal mentorship. That's a huge one, actually. Marketers are brought into tech companies and there's nobody in the company that understands marketing. Um, and they may be early or mid career and they've got nobody to sort of look up to and learn from internally. And that can be really isolating as well. So, um, the, anyways, that's why we did it, and uh, so far, so good. It's been it's been really great. Yeah, the workshop's been great. I've been watching, trying to watch every single one. There's been quite a few workshops now. <laughs> there have, uh, yeah. I think it's like sixty or seventy or something yeah. at this point. I, I just got two more questions. I know I'm really okay. over the time that I uh, asked from you. That's okay. So I noticed, uh, you know, I was digging around your website. I noticed that you offer 60-minute uh, calls to women and underrepresented founders for free. And I, I thought that was awesome because uh, I'm trying to get more, uh, actually more women and underrepresented marketers on this podcast because somebody called me out like a few months ago. It's like, hey, you have a lot of white dudes on your podcast. <laughs> and I'm really trying to, to be more active on that. And I'm, I'm curious why that's super important to you and why you offer free uh, strategy call, which is worth 500, 600 bucks uh, on uh, generally. Yeah, yeah. It's look, that's where I sort of started. Um, the the local tech community stuff that I was doing, I'm going way back here. I'm going back like 2009 or something. Um, that's how I got involved in the community was running events for women looking to break into tech. And 
Um, Like the events, they were in person and they were standing room only. It was insane. And I got to say, 10 years later that this is still a thing is super depressing. Um, Also, I was looking at my my own client roster. Uh, Who was I working with? And it was all you know, kind of the same thing. And don't get me wrong. I love my, I love my, my founders. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, you can't ignore the, the studies, you can't ignore the research that's been done so far. And far and away, the thing that women founders, um, were vocal about hindering their success was mentorship and, uh, guidance, uh, and, you know, having somebody to sort of go to. And I figured, you know, if I'm, if I can, do this, then all the better. So I, I've actually run lots of uh, these strategy sessions with early stage uh, founders of of tech companies, and it's been super super gratifying. And I I love it. I you know I wish I had more time to dedicate to that kind of stuff, uh, but I just you know in good conscience, I, nothing's going to change unless you know we start doing stuff. So this is just my little tiny way of doing. <laughs> I'm doing stuff. So true. Is there anything else that other folks can do? Like if there's, there's a bunch of marketers who listen to this, to this podcast, like what, what would you tell, um, advise them to do to, to really get that change going? Oh, wow. It will, it really depends on like what you have at your disposal. Like if you're an event organizer, I think it's probably pretty obvious what you need to start doing. <laughs> I, I mean, I would hope it would be obvious, um, but there's lots of resources to sort of make sure, um, you know, the ratio of your speakers is um, on par and, uh, you know, at parity, I should say. So there, you know, event organizers play a, a big, big role. Like you can't be what you can't see, uh, old trope, but, um, there's that, I mean, look for podcast hosts, uh, you know, and I include, forget the funnel in there too. I, you know, we try to make sure that we've got, um, good representation as well. Um, and, and trying as much as possible whenever you have an opportunity to amplify voices of people who you may not realize have been at a disadvantage. Um, and so just taking every opportunity you can to be sensitive to that and not feeling like it's a handout. It's not, it's, it's, you know, you, we, it is very easy to take privilege for granted when it's yours, um, and to, to ignore it and, uh, not even, you know, notice it, but it is privilege is a very, very real thing. Um, and so, yeah, whenever, just whenever there's an opportunity to amplify someone else, take it. Great. No, that's so good. That's really so good. One final question. Where can people find you online? Do you have any call to actions or <laughs> any other thing that I you want to shout? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm definitely findable on Twitter. Uh, my, my Twitter handle, G-G-I-I-A-A, uh, you can check out actually, uh, well, forget the funnel. I would definitely encourage everybody to check out, especially the, the marketers or, um, the founders still DIYing their marketing, uh, check out forgetthefunnel.com. Um, and then Claire Solentrop and I, who partner on forget the funnel, we are also now working together on the consultancy side and you can find us at heyelevate.com, which is like brand, brand new. We haven't even really announced that yet. So, um, yeah, those are the, those are the three best places to find me. And then any, if anybody wants to email me, they totally can. It's GIA at heyelevate.com. Nice. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Gia. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. That was such a great episode. Let me share with you three key takeaways that I got from my chat with Gia. 
first of all, throw out every generic way to think about your customer experience. As marketers, it's so easy to get caught up with the latest frameworks like the pirate metrics, like ABM and all the cool growth hacks. But every SaaS company's customer journey will be different. There is no cookie cutter approach to trying to understand your customer journey. You have to really put yourself in the shoes of your customer and forget, and this is what Gia said, forget your business metrics and forget the pirate metrics and really try to walk through the steps of your customer's shoes on from researching all the way to looking at different things, uh, different products to actually experiencing your product. Second, strategic partnership is critical, especially in SaaS. And I hear this over and over again. One of the best quote unquote growth hack is building real authentic relationships with other uh, companies, other marketers, with your customers. Gia said that SaaS is about building long-term relationships. And not that's not just with your customers, that's also with other companies in your ecosystem. Like think about the co-webinars that you can, you can create. And this is something that I talked about with, with somebody from Conversion Excel and also HubSpot on how they try to build their content and backlinks. It's all about building authentic relationships with other folks in your industry. And finally, the third thing is have a side project. If you're a marketer, I highly suggest you have a side project. Some of the best marketers I talked to in this podcast have a side project. This podcast, Growth Marketing Today, was a side project for me to learn on how to grow a podcast. And that's really opened up doors for me. I, I posted up a post uh, last year on how that helped help me close 42,000 in consulting uh, just because of this podcast and people hearing me, uh, hearing about this podcast. Uh, the next person that I'm going to talk to next week, Kevin Indig, he's an SEO specialist, VP of SEO at G2. And he started in SEO and marketing because his friends had a StarCraft. You don't know what that is. That's this, this game, this strategic game. And they needed to build a website. And because of that, he started getting into digital marketing and SEO. So if you're if you're a marketer, you want to get better at something, start a side project and start implementing whatever marketing tactic that you want to implement. And as always, if you want the show notes, you know, this takeaways, quotes, and more from Gia from this episode, go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 42, or you can find a link in the description. And if you're new here, as always, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. You won't miss one. I, I always post one every Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as always, I'd really appreciate it if you leave a five-star review on iTunes so we can reach more marketers with this podcast. And if you really found this valuable, I would love to hear your feedback through iTunes. So you can send me an email, Ramley at Growth Marketing Today, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm very active there, at Ramley John. And you know what? As I wrap up, as always, keep on growing. Passion.